At the end of April, the European Union proposed groundbreaking new regulations on artificial intelligence. It takes a proportional approach grounded on one simple logic. The higher the risk, the stricter the rule. AI systems that determine who gets a job or who's eligible for a loan will have to prove they're trustworthy. The EU says this will protect citizens. Skeptics say it's an attempt to clip the wings of American and Chinese innovators who are widely considered to be winning the global AI race. How will these regulations impact life, not just in Europe, but elsewhere? That's today on Brainstorm, the podcast about how tech is reshaping our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brainstorm. I'm Michal Evram. And I'm Brian O'Keefe. So you may not know it, or maybe you do, but AI is a huge part of your life and growing. You know, you open your phone with Face ID, you've got personalized social media feeds, your Netflix recommendations, and so many of the emerging technologies, the stuff that's on the horizon, you know, self-driving cars, new ways of doing drug discovery and diagnostics. These also use AI, and so it's going to be an even bigger part of our life in the near future. The hope is it's going to make our lives better and easier, right? But this stuff is really ethically fraught. As we've talked about before on the podcast, you know, there are a lot of examples of AI going kind of horribly wrong, like facial recognition systems that don't operate well with darker skinned people and sometimes turn up horrifying results, or resume scanning systems that might be biased against people who are not white males, you know, that don't recognize participating in a women's team sport as a sign of leadership. So what the EU wants to do is bring some guardrails in and put it around this technology and figure out how to regulate this in a way that makes sense. Well, that sounds super easy, Brian. How do they actually expect to do this? Yeah, I think you might need an AI system to design rules for AI, but we're not quite there yet. Um, What the EU framework does is it breaks uses of AI into three categories. So there's unacceptable risk, high risk, and low risk. And unacceptable risk would be something like government using facial recognition systems to track all of its citizens all the time. High risk might be something like robot-assisted surgery, where the AI is making decisions. We talked to someone whose business falls squarely into that high-risk classification. We have built Hubert Plus One to leverage AI in automating the initial screening process. Alex Bayer is the data protection officer of Hubert AI, which is based in Sweden. Hubert does interviews uh, with all incoming applicants to high-volume jobs, customer service, or warehouse operators. And then Hubert performs a structured interview, asking basic job-related questions to gauge the interest, experience, general skills. And then everyone gets the same questions in the same format. There's no names, no pictures, no age. And then Hubert scores the candidates on how well they fit the job description. It's always the recruiter in the end who makes the decision. It's not Hubert, the AI system that says who gets the job or who doesn't get the job. What Hubert's doing strikes me as not particularly revolutionary. We've seen systems like this already. You know, they're providing input to human decision makers. That doesn't sound terribly high risk, right? On the other hand, you know, a system like this, you're not really sure how it's reading the information, how it's processing it. And it could totally be baking in the biases 
that we're trying to avoid with these systems. So I can see why regulators are concerned about it. But from the point of view of Hubert, what do they need to do to be transparent and offer proof that their system complies with what the EU thinks is acceptable? Yeah, I think it's going to be probably pretty messy for a while. This is kind of new territory. And it's been the Wild West for AI systems for so long, right? But a company like Huber, I mean, the, the first thing that they need to figure out in order to comply is to understand exactly what risk, intended or unintended, its system is posing. So that's part of the EU compliance is that you first need to do an assessment and figure out what it is that makes you high risk. And then you need to go about setting up some kind of plan for managing that risk. And what that ends up looking like is going to be very different for each and every company. We really have to show that we are transparent. We collect consent of all these different steps, explain exactly what is going to happen, how it's going to happen, how you can remove your data, how you can remove your consent, and then have a management system in place that kind of removes the opacity. That's what they want. If it turns into a black box and nobody knows what's happening and just something comes out in the end and that even makes decisions, for example, then, then you're in trouble. That black box concept is what so many people say about AI, you know, when they talk about the challenge of it, because by the nature of AI itself, we don't always know how the decisions are being made. But Alex points out that people are kind of black boxes too. In, in our case, what's a human recruiter before lunch uh, reading CVs? Isn't that a black box that's just based on gut feeling? You know, I want to have my lunch, so let me do this in five seconds and decide if who gets the job or not. You know, that could be the last thing that your CV ends up in the trash just because that guy wants to go to lunch. Uh, so it's kind of a black box. I'm not entirely sure if I agree with this notion that human beings are as much of a black box as an AI system is. I mean, we may not always know or be completely cognizant of why we're making certain decisions, but at least we can talk about it. We can have a conversation. So anyways, that aside, it's interesting that Alex also says and argues that complying with Europe's new AI regulations could actually provide a competitive advantage for his company because ultimately it shows that they're playing by the rules and that could help engender trust with their clients. Yeah, the whole world is watching this, Michal, and multinational companies, you know, the kind of big companies like Google, for instance, that are racing ahead in AI, they are waiting to see what the effect is going to be. In order to take a closer look at what is behind the EU's regulation and what they're trying to do, I spoke with Anu Bradford. She's a professor at Columbia Law School, and she also directs the Center for European Legal Studies. This is a transformative proposal in the sense that it really sets a vision for the regulation of artificial intelligence with two primary goals. It tries to foster innovation in this space uh, in Europe, encourage the uptake of artificial intelligence, but it is very important for the EU that this uptake will usher in AI that is consistent with European values. So it also tries to mitigate any risks associated with artificial intelligence systems. Put that into context for me, please. What would the Europeans that are proposing this mean by European values? And how does that play out in the, the big world of tech? The Europeans have a very human-centric 
approach to technology companies and technology industry. It is a very value and rights-driven approach. And I think it can be contrasted with Chinese digital authoritarian model or the more techno-libertarian views that prevail traditionally in the United States. So there's much more of a faith that markets are not enough to provide solutions. The government does need to step in and the government needs to step in in the name of protecting those fundamental rights. What are some of the um, provisions that the EU has outlined that would regulate you know, along those lines? What are the guidelines that they're proposing that companies would have to conform to as they're continuing to develop machine learning systems? The EU is not worried if the Netflix algorithm is is helping you select your next movie. That's not where the dangers lie. Instead, the EU's regulation is focusing on two different categories. One is the category that is unacceptable risk, a set of entirely prohibited uses of AI. Then there's another category that is not prohibited AI system, but so-called high-risk systems. And those come with a set of regulatory requirements. And they mainly relate to the quality of the data sets, the various transparency obligations, so that we can monitor the risk and we can mitigate against these risks. I just want to make sure I understand that line between high risk and prohibited. If you could give me an example of where high risk crosses over into prohibited, you know, in the eyes of the regulators. Unacceptable risk is is required for an AI system to be prohibited. And there's, I would say, three types of highest category, these unacceptable risk AI systems. So one is this social scoring used by governments. And it is something that the Chinese are using, for instance, and that's why it may also be on the Europeans' radar that they know that it is possible to construct that kind of system by tracking an individual, observing the individual's behavior, and then constructing this profile of what is the credit worthiness of an individual. That would be a commercial application of deploying that information. But then the the way that Chinese government is using these social scores is that, for instance, individual is preventing from buying a train ticket. The second is this facial recognition. So the use of live remote identification systems for law enforcement purposes by the governments. And the third category is this kind of exploitation or manipulation when you are deploying uh, subliminal techniques to distort human behavior in a material way. So those are examples of prohibited risk, whereas the high risk categories is when you have some safety components in the products that are classified high risk. So if we think about self-driving cars, for instance, that would be an example. Or then when you deploy the AI in the setting that is particularly harmful. So let's say what is at stake is access to education, access to uh, employment, or access to critical public services. So where the stakes for an individual and consequences for individual's life are very high. Inevitably, you propose bold new regulation. There's going to be critiques and criticisms Are there any valid criticisms coming from outside the EU of what they've put forth? 
So there's NGOs focusing on civil liberties who think that the regulation will not go far enough. Then there's obviously many tech companies and also um, some member state governments within the EU that are worried that the regulation is too invasive and it would then set back and hinder innovation. And this is a big concern for the Europeans. Americans and Chinese are far ahead when it comes to being the innovators, developers of AI, and the EU is conscious that it cannot just be the regulator of this industry. And, and there is a tension in trying to make sure that we guard against the risks that the AI systems may entail, but also preserve the incentives and the freedom to innovate. Yeah, you touched on something there that I wanted to ask you about, which is how much of this, the basis of this regulation or the energy behind this regulation is coming from a pure sense of let's have AI be used the right way. And how much of it is Europe trying to flex its muscles, knowing that it has not kept up with the pace of innovation in Silicon Valley or in China and wanting to kind of reset the playing field a little bit so that European companies have a chance to play catch up on the technology that's gonna define the future. So this is a very familiar allegation. There is often this perception that this is this um, envy-driven attempt by the Europeans to level the playing field and give a leg up to European companies that cannot keep up with innovation. And I understand where that criticism comes from, but I don't think that is the main motivation driving the Europeans. There's a genuine concern shared by European public that some of these technologies are extremely dangerous and disturbing. There's also a realization of how countries like China is deploying these technologies already, how much they are using AI for surveillance, and how successfully they are exporting these surveillance technologies to many illiberal governments around the world. So the EU feels keenly that it needs to step in with regulation, not to protect its companies, but to protect its values. I think it's worth noting the timeline of how these regulations are going to be rolled out. So we're really talking about late 2023, when this regulatory framework can be implemented. But as Anu pointed out, to me, it really starts to have an impact immediately. It might as well be now because the companies know it's coming. And so they're already going to start adjusting to the new guidelines. Yes, this is following a similar path as GDPR did. That was a general data protection regulation, which was enacted in 2016 and implemented in 2018. And Europe has really led the way with a lot of this stuff. With GDPR, it was really focused on you know, protecting data privacy. With this AI regulation, obviously, we're really talking about the way that algorithms are, are built, the way that AI is being utilized. And so data and privacy plays a role there, but it's ultimately about more accountability, transparency, eliminating bias, all this stuff that we're talking about. And we wanted to know more about what these regulations, these new AI regulations really mean for U.S. tech companies and basically any non-EU-based companies, especially because they've been here before with GDPR. So we brought in Fortune's very own Jeremy Kahn, who's based on the other side of the pond, to help shed some light on all this. 
rules apply not just to European companies, but to any company that has European customers, is using the data of European citizens, or has European employees. So if you meet any of those criteria, you have to comply with this law. Otherwise, the European Union could potentially come after you for a very large fine of 20 million euros, or it could be as much as 4% of global revenue, whichever is larger. And then there's just some practical reasons why you might want to comply with this. For one thing, if you had to build a separate system just for your European customers that was compliant with the law, and then a different system for your American and Asian customers or employees, that would present some practical challenges, and a lot of companies aren't going to want to do that. Also, AI systems tend to perform better the more data you feed them. So if you wanted to create a system that just had European data or just had American data, it probably would not perform as well as a system that had was trained on the combined data set. So is this something that companies are ready for? I mean, does this present like a significant technological hurdle now that they have to comply with this? I think mostly what U.S. companies are going to have to worry about is around compliance. For instance, if you're in one of these areas that Europe has called high risk, do you have the correct risk assessment procedures in place? If you do find issues in that risk assessment, can you document that you've taken steps to mitigate those risks? You have to have those procedures in place. You have to follow those procedures consistently. And, and for a lot of companies, that maybe a change. Now, I talked to some U.S. companies. A lot of them were optimistic that some of the things that they already do or are in the process of putting in place would be compliant with this new law. So some of them told me they didn't think it was going to be such a big deal for them. And they kind of in principle thought the law, you know, sounded good to them, you know, in terms of its intentions. But as always with this stuff, the devil's in the details. So I know GDPR was really focused on on privacy, right, and data, um, and it's different. But does it teach us anything? Does it help us kind of know what to expect from these new AI regulations? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things to expect. One is that you have to take this seriously. You can't just ignore this and say, oh, it's something going on in Europe and I don't have to worry about it. Because if you operate a global business in any way, if you know, even if you're think you're totally US-based, but if you have one European customer, you know, you have to comply with this. But if you make a good faith effort, I think we've seen with GDPR, uh, so far the European data privacy authorities have not come too, down too hard on companies that made a good faith effort at compliance. I'm curious also, Jeremy, we focus so much on the tech players and the big tech players in particular when it comes to privacy, when it comes to AI. But there are so many companies today that are using AI in all sorts of ways. And I'm guessing that this impacts them too, right? Like if I'm Target or I'm X company in any industry. Yeah, I think we saw with GDPR some smaller companies say we are, you know, it's just not worth it for us. We don't have enough business in Europe. We don't have enough European customers. And they actually abandoned Europe as a result of GDPR. And we might see something happen with smaller companies who are mostly concerned with Americans or, you know, if they're in Asia, mostly with, with Asian customers or employees that they will, will choose actually to abandon Europe. And that's, of course, not what, you know, the European Union wants, but that may be a kind of unintended consequence of this law. Okay, what's going on with the U.S. now with AI regulations? Where do we stand? Yeah, so the U.S. is behind uh, Europe in terms of any formal regulation on both privacy and the use of AI systems. There is some talk about introducing an AI-specific law. There was an attempt in the last Congress to introduce something called the Algorithmic Accountability Act of 2019. It did not make it out of committee, and it had some of the same ideas about 
there being certain higher higher risk categories of of using AI and, and that those should be more tightly regulated. It had some of the same concerns about facial recognition and, and biometric data. Meanwhile, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, just in the last couple of weeks has taken the step of under the existing law, kind of reiterating, sending out a, a notice that reiterates that if you use an AI system in a way that discriminates, it's no different than if you had humans making discriminatory decisions. And you can violate the FTC Act in that way. So if you have an algorithm that is racially biased and it's making decisions about one of the areas the FTC cares about, such as you know, housing or you know, which advertisements and offers are displayed to which group of people, if they can prove there's, um, that different groups are treated in different ways, you potentially could violate the FTC Act. So that is also a step in the direction of regulating AI um, in certain cases. It's within the existing law. It doesn't change the law as Europe is uh, attempting to do. And it's not as AI, the existing law is not as AI specific, but it is kind of a baby step in the direction that Europe also seems to be heading in. Michal, one of the big takeaways I got from listening to Jeremy talk about this is that you know we might look back at this moment as kind of a watershed because to this point in the development of AI, like all the powers that be, the national governments that are funding AI development and these big companies and startups who are developing the technology have all been kind of like looking at each other. You know, who's going to set the standards? Who's going to regulate? No one really kind of wanted to be the first to jump in. And now the EU is planting a flag on this and saying, you know, this is the way we're going to go. I mean, we've seen a handful of local municipalities and states try to do this, but this is really something that has to be regulators with uh, the big stick who can say, here are the lines that we can't cross. Yeah. You know, it's pretty wild that these technologies, that AI systems are so pervasive in so many different aspects of our lives as consumers. And yet, you know, we're just now catching up to how to regulate them. And in Europe, they've definitely, you know, they're trying to set that precedent. They've planted the flag first, but the U.S. is not far behind. So I do think there's been a lot of progress in just a basic understanding of how these companies operate and what they're doing with our data. And now what measures should be in place also for regulating some of how these AI systems work, you know, hopefully starting with transparency. So we've come a long way. You know, Michal, I just had a great idea for what I'm going to get you for Mother's Day. I'm going to get you a nice big black box because I think you need to become more comfortable living with the black box that rules our lives. I don't have space for anything. I, I like, no. Three kids and a dog and an apartment. Mm -mm. Okay, I'll get you a tasteful, <laughs> a tasteful small black box. I'll have a, I'll have a figurative black box. That, that works for me. Yeah, that works for me too. I don't have to pay anything for that. <laughs> All right. Well, Brian, thank you for the black box. And uh, I think that's it for today. By the way, most mothers appreciate flowers more than a figurative black box. Join us next time for more talk on how tech is reshaping our world. The Brainstorm Podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is produced by Wyatt Orm and edited by Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds NYC. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold.